0: I was thinking as we sang um, some of the verses, we sang, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah means praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. Uh, Yahweh is the name of God in the Old Testament. That's how the Jews would refer to God. And so when we say Hallelujah, we're saying praise Yahweh, what a Savior. So we're pointing Jesus back to Yahweh, that they're they're the same person. That God has revealed himself in the Trinity through Jesus. And so we're praising Yahweh today. We're praising Jesus through worship, through singing, through giving our tithes and offerings. And now we're praising him through his word, through the scripture. So let me pray for us and then we will begin. Oh Father God, help us to praise you through the word. Help us to... Help me to praise you through what I say. Would what I say reflect your word rightly? And help these people to listen to your word and hear it as they need to hear it this morning. And would all of it be an act of worship to you, Yahweh. In Jesus' name, our Savior, we pray, amen. So this past week... In South Carolina, uh, we heard the news of a tragedy, something very hard and something very disturbing. A man walked into a Wednesday night prayer study, Bible study, a prayer group, in Mother Emmanuel, African Methodist Episcopal Church. An hour later, he shot nine people. He killed six women and three men. The oldest was 87 years old, and the youngest was 26 years old. He killed two pastors. He killed the assistant pastor, Sharonda Singleton, and the senior pastor, Clementa Pickney. Clementa attended Lutheran Theological Seminary, Southern Seminary. He got his MDiv, his Master of Divinity, in 2008. That's the same degree that I have, That Pastor David has that Joe's wrapping up. He worked for Human Rights. Uh, I watched a video of him, and uh, this was a gospel-believing church. Their, Their slogan said, Jesus died a passionate death for us, so our love for him should be just as passionate. And yet, this young man hated them. He hated them for the color of their skin for being different than him. He said some really awful things to them before he killed them. I'm not going to repeat those things this morning, but they were racist comments. They were comments that said, I'm better than you because of who I am and because of the things I do. I'm better than you. He killed them because he thought... He was fundamentally, fundamentally superior to them, both in works and the things He did, and in His nature and the person He is. At the core of this message is racism. But if we look past the racism, we see an issue that the Bible itself addresses, See, this man really, at his core, believed in a works-based righteousness. In other words, he believed that he could be good through his own effort, that he could be better through his own effort. And sometimes when we read the Bible, we think that it doesn't address the issues of today. It was written over the course of a thousand years, uh, two thousand years ago. So how can it possibly speak to us today? And yet the Gospel, the Bible, speaks profoundly against what happened this week in South Carolina. See, this is the message that Paul, in the book of Galatians, is countering. He is countering a works-based theology. In fact, we actually see him countering a little bit of racism In Galatians chapter 2, that's where we're going to be today, Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. Now in verses 11 through 14, we read them last week, we didn't get a chance to talk about them very much, but Paul, the Apostle Paul, the, the, the author of Galatians, is rebuking another Christian for racist actions. He's rebuking the Apostle Peter. See, the Apostle Peter was a, 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 a Jesus follower. He believed in Christ. He believed in the Gospel, the good news that we're all saved through Christ Jesus, through trusting in Him. And yet he stopped acting like it. He, he was a Jew, both Paul and Peter were Jews, and he separated himself from the non-Jews because they weren't good enough. They, didn't, they weren't following the law, even though, even though Peter knew this was incredibly wrong. And so Paul calls him out for it. Paul tells us that before God we're all equally broken and we're all equally in need of Christ. It does not matter your skin color. It doesn't matter your social economic status. The Gospel also tells us that we can't do anything to make ourselves better than anyone else. No matter how well we perform... Before God, we're all fallen. So the message of our passage is that the Gospel takes things that we hold dear, like our works and our performance, and says you need to trade this for something else. You need to trade this for faith. You need to take a life of of sin, of hate, and trade it for a new life in Christ. You need to trade yourself for Jesus. The Gospel trades works for faith, death for life, me for him. Let's read about that message. The Gospel trades works for faith, death for life, me for him in Galatians 2 verses 15 through 21. This is Paul writing to Peter. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that that a man is not justified by observing the law but by faith in Jesus Christ so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law no one will be justified if while we seek to be justified in Christ it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners does that mean that Christ promotes sin Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is from the NIV. See, the Gospel doesn't say I'm better in nature for the things I do. I'm, I'm better because I do better things than you. No, the Gospel trades a life of works for a life of faith. The Gospel trades works for faith. In other words, the Gospel trades pride for not just humility, but pride for trust. That we're to trust in God. This is verse 15. Now, when Paul says that we are Jews by birth, in the NIV, it's translated as birth. He's saying, you know, we're uh, in some ways of a different nature. Or at least that's what it feels like. We're of a different origin. We're of a different category than the Gentiles, than the non-Jews. We were raised a specific way. We, we understand life through a certain lens. And when, it's, and when we look around at the, the, the Gentiles, the, the non-Jews, it's easy to see how different they are than us. But in reality, they're not that much different. When we look at each other, sometimes it's easy to see our differences. Whether you're from a different region, a different part of the world, a different you know, income level. It's easy to see how different you and I can appear. And that's why we need to take a God-centered perspective. We need to take the Bible's perspective. Because in God's eyes... We're all humans. There's God, and then there's humans, and so we're not that much different from fellow people. Uh, it's like ants. There are lots of different types of ants, and they they look very different. There's fire ants. There's field ants. There's carpenter ants, and yet, to a little boy with sneakers, they're all the same. See, the gospel says we can either trust in ourselves and kind of count on how I'm better than you, or we can trust in God. We can trade our pride for trust, works for faith. The Bible, the good news this morning is that the Bible gives us the solution for racism. That's right. We actually see uh, in the very gospel story itself. See, the story of Jesus is a man who was hated. He was hated by pretty much everyone. He was perfect. He lived a perfect life. And he died an innocent death. Jesus knows what it's like to be martyred. Jesus knows what it's like to be crucified wrongly. And yet he shows us the solution as even as he's on the cross dying for us, he prays, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And then he beat this hatred when three days later he rose from the grave in victory. Proving that Jesus wins. The gospel wins. This is the good news. And now he offers forgiveness to any any of us who harbor racism or a workspace righteousness in our own hearts that we think we're better than others. Jesus says, come, believe in me, trust in me, put your faith in the one who is actually better than everyone else, Jesus Christ. The Gospel trades racial pride for trust in a God who made all races. Through the Gospel, what do we do? Well, through the gospel, we trust in Christ's works. We, we trust in Christ's performance. See, through, through trusting in Jesus and His works, uh, we're saved. Not by trusting in our own works, but we are actually trusting in the action of Jesus, of what He did on our behalf. Now, Paul writes in verse 16 that no man is declared righteous from the works of the law. The NIV says uh, uses the word justified that no man is justified by observing the law. Now what is this law that Paul is referring to? Now the law in the Old Testament is the, uh, the system of commands that God, that Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament gave Moses. He was a prophet. And, and Yahweh gave Moses the, the Ten Commandments. He gave him uh, all the law as recorded in uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and this system was for the nation of Israel. And there was different types of law. There was civil law, which was a you know the, the kind of the, the governance, the the rules, the the speed limit signs. Uh, for the nation of Israel, the civil law, there was the ceremonial law, which was uh, things like sacrifices that the people of Israel did in order to please God. And then there was the moral law, which was just laws that reflected God's character. And we see the moral law, like in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. This is true of anyone. It doesn't matter if you're an Israelite or not. And, and this system of belief was never meant to save people. It was never meant to, if you could obey the law perfectly, you would know salvation. No, this law was meant to point people to their need for a Savior, to their need for someone to come along and obey God perfectly. And we see that in Christ Jesus. See, the NIV says we are justified by faith in Christ, but a better translation is that we are justified by the faithfulness of Christ. See, Jesus came along and he he completed the civil law. He he obeyed all the laws perfectly. He obeyed the the ceremonial law and and the moral law of God. He pleased God perfectly. And so we trust in Jesus' obedience on our behalf. See, we are declared righteous because Jesus obeyed the law as our perfect substitute. It's not just his death that we get credit for, that he died in our place, but he also lived in our place as well. And we are only declared righteous if we put our faith in Jesus, not in our own nature, not in our own works, not in our own ability to be better. The gospel trades works for faith. The gospel, the gospel also has some other trades. See, the gospel also trades death for life. We see this in verses 17 through 19. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. See, Paul here in verses 17 through 19 is countering himself. He's a a good order. He he knows how the people in Galatia will argue against what he's saying. There are false teachers in Galatia, and they're promoting a theology of works-based righteousness, of performance-based righteousness, that if I do enough good things, that I will be declared good before God if I obey the law. And Paul is countering one of their objections. And and their objection is, uh, is pretty much saying, if Christ loves sinners, he must love sin. It's verse 17. If Christ loves sinners, he must love sin. But, but Paul is saying, you know, if, if Jesus is going to lower his standard for people, isn't Jesus going to join in sin? That's their argument. And Paul practically shouts, may it never be. May it never be. Jesus does not. Condone sin because he forgives sinners. God does not lower his standard. Jesus had to meet the standard. Jesus had to die because God did not lower his standard. And when Paul shouts, may it never be, he's, uh, he's doing this in, a, in the optative mood. Now, this is a little Greek grammar for you. Uh, and hopefully, you know, you can use the expression in the optative mood later today. Uh, as people ask you, what sort of mood are you in? Well, I'm in the optative mood, uh, which expresses an obtainable wish. Really, Paul is expressing absolute abhorrence that anyone would accuse Jesus of sin. May it never be. And so, if you ever have a conversation with someone who, who, who doesn't believe in the gospel, and one of their you know, arguments is, well, God can't possibly forgive sin and still be pure. Just shout, may get a toy, may it never be. Because God is a God who never sins. And so how does Paul answer this charge? We see two answers in verses 18 and 19. So the charge is, if Christ loves sinners, he must love sin. And in verse 18, the first answer is, no, no. If I love my good works, I am the one who loves sin. No, if I love my performance, I'm the one who is doing wrong before God. See, in verse 18, Paul is saying that if we return to a works-based righteousness, we, not Jesus, return to sin. See, good works cannot produce righteousness. Righteousness just means right standing before God. And good works can't produce right standing before God because no matter how many good works we do, we're always going to fall short of God's glory. But so what does works-based righteousness, what do good works produce in us? Two things. Kind of a works-based righteousness produces pride because I am better than other people. Well, you know. I, I'm a I'm a Christian. You know, I read my Bible more. I I go to every church service. Uh, you know, I give to the poor. These are it produces pride, and works-based righteousness also produces fascination with sin. Sin fascination. See, because we become we become obsessed with our sin, with doing better, doing more good over our sin. We, we, we focus on our sin and how we can beat our sin instead of how we can bring glory to God. I think Paul is also telling the Jews here in verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. He's also saying, you know, there's a new house, Peter. There's a new house, a gospel house. Yes, you're more familiar with kind of this law house, this, this, well, I have to do everything good to please God, but that was never really the intention in the first place. No, there's a new home that says, I come and I put my faith in Christ, and that's what matters. So the first objection, uh, well, the, the objection is that if Christ loves sinners, he must love sin, and the first answer is no, if I love my good works, I am loving sin, and if I love that old house, I'm the one loving sin, not Jesus. And then verse 19 says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. See, Paul answers, No, my good works show me my need for Christ. And I've already talked about this a little bit. Through the law I died to the law. In other words, I, I tried to do all that good stuff, but I just realized that I couldn't do all that good stuff, that I couldn't please God through my own efforts. My prayer for you is that God would also bring you to that point. That as you go through your walk, through your through life, that, that if you're not a Christian, that you would realize that, well, you just can't be good enough. You can't be good enough to please God no matter how you act. And if you are a Christian and you're still feeling that same way, that you just have to please God, that you just have to keep doing good things in order to please Him, remember, He's already pleased in you. Because He's pleased in what His Son did on the cross. And God wants us, instead of trying to outdo our fellow Christians. He wants us to cling to Christ, to put our just faith in Him, to trust Him. See, the Gospel trades death for life. I have to die to my own self-effort in order that I might cling to Christ's life and to what Christ did on my behalf. Timothy Keller writes in the book Galatians for You. He, I think he applies this really well to today. He says, The law itself showed me That I could never make myself acceptable through it. So I stopped living to it. I died to it as my Savior. Though I obeyed God before, it was simply to get something from Him. It was for my own sake. Now I obey Him simply to please Him. I now live for Him. In other words, when we try to do good things without putting our faith in Christ, really those good things are for us. We're trying to earn salvation from God. We're really focusing on ourselves, But once we put our faith in Christ, well, these good works are now meant to bring God honor, to bring God praise. See, the gospel trades works for life, works for faith, death for life. But there's one more trade that we see in verses 20 through 21. The gospel trades works for faith, death for life, me for Him. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. The Gospel trades me for Him. This is the most important of the trades. That we're saying, Lord, I give you all of me in order that I might have All of you, that I might have all of Jesus. And Paul is so excited to say, I have been crucified with Christ, that if you look at the original Greek, these words, I have been crucified with Christ, they're actually two words, and they actually appear in verse 19, at the very end of verse 19. But if you look at all the modern translations, we always translate it in verse 20. But I have been crucified with Christ, Paul emphasizes that so much that he puts it very early, he puts it first. So he wants us to think, what does it mean to be crucified with Christ? Well, the word crucified gives us a hint, because crucified is in the perfect tense, another Greek grammar word. And the perfect tense means that something that happened yesterday, that happened a while ago, now affects today. And so, Christ was crucified, I was crucified with him spiritually, and that is affecting how I live today. Today. See, I'm living today in the knowledge that I have been saved with Christ, that I was so sinful that I had to die with Christ. That is incredibly humbling for me today. But it's also incredibly hopeful because Jesus also rose from the grave. And so, too, I live with Jesus spiritually in one day completely. In other words, Paul is saying that we have already died with Jesus, and that matters right now. Now, he supports this throughout the rest of the verse. If we look at the verse we see that the, the, the crucified is talking really about the past affecting the present. And then Paul spends the rest of the verse describing the present. So my translation of verse 20 is, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who am living, but Christ is living in me. But now the life which I am living in the flesh, I am living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm living today. It's a, a present tense kind of thing. Now, notice that Paul doesn't say, well, you need to be living for Christ. This isn't a command. Paul is saying, you are living with Christ. Galatians 2.20 is not a command, but it's a description of our present state. In other words, 2.20 is not a a kind of list of all the things that you have to achieve, of all of your shortcomings as a Christian. It's a reminder that you already have this in Jesus. Jesus. If Jesus is my substitute, then even his perfect obedience and perfect faith is counted as mine. So when you and I doubt and we lack faith, remember, we have Christ's record. And Christ's record is one of perfect faith, of perfect submission. I'm going to read this again. I'm going to read Galatians 2.20 again. And this time, think of it as a reminder of everything you already have in Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who am living, but Christ is living in me. But now, the life which I am living in the flesh, I am living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You're living this life of faith. You're living it through the Holy Spirit. You're living it through God. It's not dependent on how you feel today, it's dependent on what Christ did 2,000 years ago, his perfect action. The gospel trades me for him. I get everything Jesus has. And Jesus takes everything I have upon himself. Imagine for a moment that you were born in prison. Think back. You were born in prison. You grew up in prison. You were locked away your entire life. You never knew of freedom. Your whole family, everyone you knew, was in prison with you. And so you adopted that prison way of life. That's who you were by nature. And you did things that prisoners do. You loved your prison home. And then one day, a judge comes and he sets you free because his son paid your bail. The son purchased your freedom. But the judge doesn't just set you free. See, what would happen is if you were set free is that you would end up on the streets. You wouldn't know how to live. You wouldn't know how to be adjusted to society. You would be poor. And so what the judge does is he adopts you. He takes you home and says, everything I have is yours. Come and enjoy my kingdom, my wealth. So the gospel trades works for faith, death for life, me for him. I get everything that Jesus has. And yet I give it all to him. I praise him. I listened to a sermon by Brian Chappell. Some of you may know him. Uh, he preached on Galatians 2.20, and he made these two application points, which I've made my own. Application one from our passage, and especially from 2.20, is that the gospel trades my failures for his successes. So the gospel takes all of my failures and, 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 and all of the successes of Jesus and gives me all those successes of Jesus and gives Jesus all of my failures, all of my sins, so that I can be forgiven for all of my failures, but also so that those aren't counted as mine. Now Brian Chapelfield shared one of his failures, and I'm going to share one of mine this morning, and remind myself, and hopefully you can think of something in your life that you need to be reminded of, that, that God forgives you and that you don't have that, that bad thing you did on your account anymore. See, I, I moved into a house a year ago, a new neighborhood. And as it turns out, my neighbors are now moving. One neighbor on each side. And through my neighbors moving, I I learned that I have racism in my heart. Because I saw, you know, the, the open house. And I watched the people go in and out of the house. And I said, wow, I would really love to have them as neighbors. Ooh, I wouldn't really like to have them as neighbors. Based purely on outward appearance. On who I thought they were. My friends, that is a performance based righteousness. I forgot for a moment that I just moved in a year ago. Who am I to say those sorts of things? But the gospel, what the gospel does, the good news of Jesus is it says, that's no longer on your record, Jonathan. That's no longer yours. You have the perfect life of Christ on your account. And he never thought those thoughts. He never lived that way. He never judged people based purely on their outward appearance because he could see the heart. That's what you have on your record. Another failure is I I, I kind of experienced a midlife crisis at the age of 27 this year. I didn't want to turn 27. And maybe some of you have gone through midlife crises of your own, and you've experienced regret for maybe some of the things that you wanted to accomplish and you didn't get to them. Well, the gospel trades your failures for the successes of Christ. You no longer need to feel guilty for those things that you haven't done because Christ did it all. What more is there to achieve than what Jesus has done on the cross, paying the penalty for sins? So application one is the gospel trades my failures for his successes, and application two is the gospel trades my successes for his successes. Now, maybe you thought, well, it's going to be the opposite way, where the gospel trades my successes for his failures. No, Jesus never failed. See, I can't revel in any of my own victories and any of those things that I have done really well, that I have, uh, you know, achieved because I don't want them on my record anyways I don't want those uh, successes to be the things that I come before God with and say see be pleased with me look at all I have done because they just won't be good enough all of our good works are as filthy rags before God we want to come before God and say look at what Christ has done on my behalf look at all of his successes on the cross My successes in this life are just a blessing from God. And the gospel helps us stay humble through them. The gospel trades works for faith, death for life, me for him. This week, a man used a message of hate, of racism, and at its core, a message of I'm better than you, of works-based performance, of performance-based righteousness righteousness to kill nine people, to murder them, to, to martyr them, Another person died this week who lived a radically different life and preached a radically different message. Elizabeth Elliot died on Monday morning at the age of 88 years old. Some of you may not know who Elizabeth Elliot is. Well, in 1956, uh, she was a missionary to the Aka Indians in Ecuador, and her husband, uh, went with five other to, uh, men to reach out uh, to these, these Indians who had never heard the gospel. And they were speared to death. They were martyred. And she had a choice. She could stay and share the gospel with them or she could leave. And if she had believed in a message of workspace performance that I'm just trying to help these Indians be better. I'm, I'm just trying to be a better person. Well, she would have left because that wouldn't been, have been enough. She could have enjoyed life apart from that, but she had a message of trusting in Jesus that we're all sinners before God, and that through faith in Christ, we can all know true freedom, we can all know liberty, that we can all know joy, that we can all be forgiven. And so for the next three years, she stayed and worked with those Indians, made contact, and actually many of the men that speared her husband and killed the other five men uh, came to trust Christ as their Lord and Savior. This is the gospel. And this is so countercultural cult- cultural and so different than, uh, than what we experienced this week. Let's remember what Christ has done on our behalf. Let's remember people like Elizabeth Elliot who can show us a, a way to live that's different. The gospel trades works for faith, life for death, death for life, me for him. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that you traded it all for us. And now in response, we get to trade everything we have, our our actions, our life, our trust, our pride for you. And that we get all the riches of Christ Jesus. Lord, would you give us hope in this world that is marred by things like racism and murder would you help us share in words and in deeds the gospel message that we can't be better than other people there's only one person who's better than others and that is jesus or would we go out praising him today jesus name amen please rise for the benediction benediction means blessing so I want to bless you as you go out today. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.